Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Friends, good afternoon. There is a moment in Luke's gospel where Jesus lets out this cry from his heart. It gives us a little window into the sacred heart. He says, I have come to cast fire upon the earth, and how I wish it were already blazing. It's not the Jesus we tend to think about. Jesus, this sacred arsonist, right? I've come to cast fire upon the earth, and how I wish it were already blazing. Beginning with St. Margaret Mary, the visionary of the sacred heart, And continuing with every saint sense who's ever caught a glimpse of the sacred heart, if they can say anything as a result of it, they can barely stammer out one thing. It's just fire. The Lord's heart is filled with fire, this all-consuming fire. Not like a California forest fire, but like a burning bush fire, right? The burning bush that Moses saw. It was on fire, but not consumed, right? That's his heart. His heart is burning with love and passion and longing for you. Period. His heart is burning for you. That's why way back in the fall when Deacon Rich and Claire and I were dreaming about this new confirmation program we were going to be putting together, the phrase ablaze came to mind. Ablaze, we wanted it to be about his heart burning, that his heart uh, is burning for you and no tums can put it out, right? His heart's burning for you. His heart's burning for this parish. His heart's burning for you as candidates for confirmation and he longs for us to burn for him that we would set the world on fire with love and joy. Amen? Oh, come on now. Amen? All right, there you are. Years ago, friends, when you were baptized, when you were baptized either in this parish or another parish, you received the first installment of that divine fire. And it came about through water, which is ironic, right? Fire through water was poured upon your head and deep into your soul, and your little baby heart was given a spark of that divine fire. And the Holy Spirit, through your parents and godparents through this parish, has been trying to fan that flame into something bigger and brighter. You're handed a candle at your baptism. And today, as you're confirmed, that same fire is going to be poured upon you today. A fresh fire is going to be poured out. A new Pentecost just for you. Let's be clear about something, though. Let's be very clear about something. This is a day not of your doing. This is a day not of your doing. This is not primarily about you or your choice. It's not about you choosing and confirming the faith that you were baptized in as a baby. This is about what God is doing. Today is about God's choice. It's about what he's doing. It's about him choosing and calling you. It's not you who chose me, Jesus says. Right? It's not you who chose me. It's I who chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit that will remain. He chose you at your baptism. He called you at your baptism. He set you apart. He said you're mine. And he's reaffirming that choice of you today. He's setting you apart. But for what? For what? Simply this. To be agents of transformation in the world. To keep doing what began that morning of the resurrection and by the power of Pentecost. Like Jesus is asking you. He's empowering you today to help get his world back for his father. To bring that fire, that life, that joy, that love of Jesus, to bring that into the world. To do what we heard in that second reading where 
John is telling us that everything in the universe will bend the knee at the name of Jesus. Everything will recognize the lordship of Jesus Christ, and it's our job to hasten that process in our little pockets of influence. He's setting you apart for mission to bring into the world your worlds, your schools, your teams, your sports, your friends. He's setting you apart to bring into your world his goodness, his kingdom. He chose you at your baptism, and he's choosing you all over again. But as we all know, there's a lot of life that's been lived since your baptism as you were little babies and today. A lot of life indeed. A lot of joys, a lot of struggles, a lot of successes, a lot of failures, a lot of great and beautiful moments, and a lot of broken, ugly moments. Wounds and sins and betrayals and deeds that you think in your heart. And I'm really glad that no one else knows about this. Things that we carry in ourselves that we think disqualify us for love. If anybody knew this about me, nobody would love me. Nobody would choose me. Nobody would call me. Like, God, if you really knew, right? If you really knew, you probably would, you should probably pick somebody else for this mission thing of bringing your love into the world. Friends, the gospel we've been, when we've been reflecting on all year at the end of every ablaze session is the gospel we just heard that Deacon Rich proclaimed. The gospel is one of the most powerful moving scenes in the entire story. And I want us to spend some time here this afternoon meditating on this gospel because it's so important, not just for us as candidates who are about to be confirmed, sponsors, parents, everybody in Mass tonight, priests and deacons included. It is so critical that we learn that Jesus is calling us to himself and into mission not because you're perfect, but because his love is perfect. He knows our faults and our failures, and he's calling us just like he called Peter, knowing that you have failed and knowing that you will fail still. But he's calling you. He's calling you. So two weeks ago, two weeks ago, we were in the midst of Holy Week. It was Holy Thursday, the Mass of the Lord's Supper, and the institution of the Eucharist, right? The great scene of the foot washing. Jesus speaks about his coming death. And then we hear this from Peter. Peter says, he makes bold to say, Lord, I would never betray you. After Jesus says, one of you will betray. I will never betray you. I'll go to my death for you, Lord. Now, if I was Jesus, I would have been, oh, really, Peter, right? But I'm not Jesus. He says, I would die for you. Again, not to spoil the ending, we all know how the story goes. Jesus is betrayed by Judas and Peter. He's arrested. He's crucified, scourged, all of those things. The apostles scatter. They leave him alone. He's condemned. He dies, and he's buried, right? Fast forward to Resurrection Sunday, Mary Magdalene is sitting outside of the tomb. She has her encounter with the angels, and she has her encounter with the risen Jesus. She doesn't, th she doesn't know it's Jesus. She thinks it's the gardener. She runs back. She tells Peter. She tells John. They've taken the Lord. We, don't not, we do not know where they laid him. Those two guys go running to the tomb. They peer in and says they saw and believed. They go back to the upper room. Jesus appears to them behind these locked doors, and he says to them, Peace be with you. Now imagine you're Peter. Imagine you're Peter. What are you thinking at this moment? Here is the one that I betrayed. Here's the one I ran away from. Here's the one I said, I would go to my death for you. And he's back. Two weeks later, Jesus comes back. He has an encounter with Thomas, right? He shows him his wounds in his hands, his side, all of that. Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And up to this point, again, after the resurrection, at least in John's account, there's been no discussion between Jesus and Peter. They've not had a moment of reconciliation. There's been no discussion, and I think that is so significant because no one else besides Jesus and Peter knows what Peter did. 
mean, you don't, you don't think that after the cock crowed, Peter's like, oh yeah, he predicted this. You don't think Peter ran back and told the 12, guys, you wouldn't believe it. Like, I totally just betrayed him and denied him, right? He keeps that one buried. He keeps that one deep in himself. Nobody knows except for Jesus. And if I'm Peter, I'm terrified because I know there's a conversation coming that has to happen. And it hasn't happened yet. So this takes us to our gospel for today. Seemingly out of nowhere, Peter just up and says, I'm going fishing. The rest of them said, we'll come with you. Now, why is Peter going fishing? Here's what I want to suggest. Because he hasn't fished, as far as we know. He hasn't gone fishing in three years, at least not since the time when Jesus called him and his brother Andrew away from their boats and said, follow me. They dropped their nets and they follow him. He hasn't fished in three years. So why is he fishing now? Because he's thinking you know, all those extraordinary things that Jesus said about me, that me, I'm the rock, I'm gonna, he's going to build his church on this foundation. All of those extraordinary promises and hopes and dreams I let myself feel, there's no way that they apply to me still. He's going to ask someone else to be the rock. He goes fishing to see if he can still fish. Because he thinks, I have, I'm going to have to go back to my old life. There's no way I'm going to get to be the man that he said I was. So he's fishing. They have the whole encounter. They see Jesus on the shore. They run to the shore. They swim to the shore. They're not running to the shore. They're swimming to the shore, right? And Peter drags the net ashore. It says, when they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire with fish lying on it. Now, why is that significant? Because the phrase charcoal fire appears only twice in the entire Bible. And the first time happens to be three chapters earlier in John chapter 19. Said this in John 19. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire in the courtyard of the high priest because it was cold and they were standing there warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. It was around the charcoal fire where someone first asked him, Are you one of his disciples? He said, No. You've got me confused with somebody else. A second time, No, you're a Galilean, you're with him. No, I'm telling you, you're confused. A third time, you're one of his disciples, I can tell by your accent. I swear to you, I am not one of those, that man's disciples. His crushing failure was around a charcoal fire. So why is there a charcoal fire in John 22 in this scene in the gospel? Because Jesus built it. He built it. He put it there. He did it deliberately, specifically for Peter to see. Because he was planning on rehabilitating Peter right around the place of his greatest failure. So he calls him after breakfast. He says, Simon, son of John. And Peter's thinking, just like he hasn't gone fishing in three years, he hasn't been called Simon in three years. He's been Peter, Kepha in the Aramaic, rock. He was given a new identity. He hasn't been called Simon in three years. And Peter's thinking, see, I knew it. I'm no longer that man to you. I'm just who I was before you called me. I'm just Simon, son of John. Jesus asked, Simon, son of John, do you love me? You know what the question, if I was Jesus, you know what the question we're all thinking, what the question should have been in some ways, Simon, son of John, what have you done? What do you have to say for yourself? What happened back then? Where were you when I needed you the most? Where were, remember all that talk about, I'll go to my death for you, Jesus? Where were you? But that's not what he asks. Do you love me more than these, he says. 
And the these, by the way, it's not like these guys. Do you love me more than these guys? That's not what he's saying. He's pointing to all of the things of the fishing world, the net, the boat, all of it. Do you love me more than the stuff of your former life? Do you love me more than these? And rather than a lecture, right, rather than a lecture, rather than scolding, a reprimand, rather than demanding for an explanation of where he was and why he failed, Jesus simply asks, do you love me? And Peter's thinking, what am I supposed to say if I say yes? He'll ask me, well, then where were you? So mustering the courage, he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus responds, feed my lambs. A second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? His blood is beginning to rise. He's anxious. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And that's when Peter cracks and breaks. Yes, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus says, feed my sheep. And afterwards, he says, follow me. My friends, you guys who are about to be confirmed, the world needs you. The world's crying out. The world needs witnesses to hope. That's what a Christian's supposed to be. It's someone who's supposed to give witness to hope. That there's another way to live. There's another way to be. There's another way to cope. There's another way to find joy and happiness and meaning. There's another way. And his name is Jesus. And he makes life amazing. If you want happiness, he's what you're looking for. The world needs witnesses to hope. And Jesus is calling you into this mission, not because you're perfect. He loves you not because you're perfect. He loves you because he's perfect love. And he calls you knowing what you're made of. And knowing what you have and, what you, and how you will fail still. Like after this sacrament, you're still going to sin. I know it. I know it. But he's calling you and he's given you these gifts today empowering you with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This sacrament, yes, it's for you, but it's also at the same time not just for you. It's for everyone the Lord is going to put on your path as you live your life to interact with, to show love to, right? There's people in this world that Jesus is saying, I can only reach them through you. Will you be for me? Will you let me work through you, speak through you, look at others through you? Let me borrow your eyes. Let me borrow your voice. Let me borrow your hands. Let me borrow your heart. Let me borrow your life. Will you let my love come into the world through you? I'm not asking you to be perfect. I'm just asking you to open up a little bit and let me in. Let my love work through you. Will you get out of your own way and let me dazzle you with the plans I have for your life? Friends, I promise you, when I got confirmed when I was a junior in high school, I thought I knew what my life was going to be. And I had, pretty, I had a pretty big imagination. We can't dream up a life as glorious and as fulfilling as the one that Jesus has in mind for us. Your life is too precious of a thing to leave in your own hands. Give it to Jesus. His command is so simple. His command is so simple, and it's follow me. So friends, today I'm asking you, will you follow him? Even though if you have no idea what that really means, if in the depth of your heart right now, in the silence, you can say, yes, Lord, <laughs> I'll follow you. I don't know what that means, but I'm all in. Amen.